Well, you're exactly right that there's been maybe increased interest and scrutiny on the market implications of the war. It's hard to believe that we are already one year into the situation. And even before the war broke out, we were already seeing market volatility, price increases, much of that still the lingering effects from the COVID-19 pandemic, supply disruptions, logistics challenges, etc. And so here we are now facing a situation where we have over 800 million hungry people in the world. One good thing that we are seeing at the moment tied to prices is that we have come down finally from record prices that came to pass in 2022, both for cereals and oils and other grains, but also for fertilizers. They're still at high levels, and there's still a lot of concern for market volatility. We aren't finding ourselves in a food availability crisis. There's enough stocks Production forecasts are remaining solid. There are some slight decreases expected in different production levels, but many of those are coming off of record highs that we've seen in various countries over the last year or so. But it really is a concern in terms of accessibility. Are we getting products? Are we getting food supplies into the right places in the world that need them most? And more concerning, I would say, is food affordability. And again, this ties back to the global economic declines that I know everyone is closely monitoring, the effects again of the COVID-19 pandemic on fragile economies, especially in Africa. These are places where going into national debt, creating even further challenges to be able, because these are food importing countries. And so being able to actually cover the balance of payments and be able to afford the kinds of food purchases that they have been so dependent on in the past is increasingly challenging. So that's what I think all eyes need to be on in the course of 2023 is how we collectively take on this affordability issue. What do you think can be done? What do you think FAO can do? Is there sort of policy advice and is there a way forward? I think one of the things that we feel that we've really contributed to in recent months is the development of a concept that we called the Food Import Financing Facility. And the idea was to really look at these country by country, especially predominantly African countries, to what their exact food import bills have historically tended to be and what's now becoming the deficit given the current economic and food production, food commodity market challenges, and understand the gap. What is that gap? How many more billions of dollars are needed in order simply to make up that missing level of support? Very importantly, that facility concept has now been fully taken up by the IMF as a part of what they're calling a food price shock window and utilizing more of their existing funding, loan support, financing support for those countries in need. But I think, you know, this is an example or an anecdote of, I think, where a number of us in the multilateral system are trying to draw the attention to the needs, and then rally 
the maybe more operational, more sort of financial resource loan support that comes from organizations like the IMF, the World Bank, other donors in the multilateral system who can help in maybe more targeting and more tailoring of resources and support that really get at this financial gap that we're seeing. That's very interesting on the policy level and on the multilateral level. I'm wondering, what do you hear from communities? What are they telling you that they need? Are they able to adopt some of the best practices that are recommended? What's the feedback that you get from farmers? From a livelihood perspective, they want to continue to farm. They don't want to leave their homes. They don't want to be displaced. They don't want to have to create uh, new lives in some other place. And so a big part of, I think, what we have to, I think, always be mindful of is how do we help them do that? And one of the things that concerns me the most, and we talk a little bit about these emergency or crisis settings, is that I think many times those of us who participate and are part of the multilateral system or find ways to contribute, we think about our tools and our toolbox to support as things like direct food assistance or, or other kinds of public health uh, tools, um, things that are very much about the immediacy and simply taking care of people. Well, if you really look at the number of people who are falling into this acute food insecurity strata, three quarters or more of them are farmers. They're coming from rural communities. And, and instead of just direct food assistance, I think all of us need to emphasize more the emergency support that comes through agricultural production assistance. So that means seed varieties, that means fertilizers, that means livestock vaccines, that means animal nutrition and animal feed, all that not only assures that they have their own homegrown food, meat, protein, dairy, milk, wheat, corn, maize, other types of things that are there to sustain themselves, their families, and their communities. But it also creates the resiliency, and that's a really important word, is the resiliency that's needed in these crisis settings, where you want to ensure that these farmers are able to sustain their lives and that they continue to support themselves and their families. Thank you. You mentioned one of the concerns, of course, I think on everybody's mind, is the impact of climate change. I mean, we are looking at that, and it's so fundamental to agriculture and food production. How do you see FAO's role as we look at this sort of changing world that we're in and the changing situation for farmers all around the world? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, one of our most important roles is to draw public attention to the impact of climate change and the climate crisis on food and agriculture. Frankly, it's not becoming that difficult to draw the attention of the world to it because it's coming at us with such an intensity and a frequency, whether it's extreme drought conditions, we see riverbeds drying up, and we see it not just in agricultural settings, you know, we're seeing it in tourist destinations, the canal 
canals of Venice are drying up. I mean, there are strong images. You see a, a powerful river like the Mississippi River of the U.S. that's at record lows. And all of a sudden, the visual of, wait a minute, barges and other grain handling ships that use that to navigate out of a very significant um, agricultural production region to get to global markets is becoming a challenge. I'm not even sure that some of these boats can pass through the locks and out of the ports. In the contrast, you have the extreme flooding that you're seeing in many parts of the world. You know, we we all are, are focused on most recent earthquakes in Syria and Turkey. I don't remember when the last time was that I had a conversation with someone about the floods in Pakistan where water covered one-third of that entire country's landmass, devastating agricultural production capacities for that country for the year. So my point is the visuals are there for all of us, and they are, I think, in many ways, finally undeniable um, that we are in the midst of, of a real crisis. Now, what we need to, I think, begin to focus on is both climate adaptation and climate mitigation. And where do food and agriculture fall into finding, I think, new and different ways to have our food production adapt to the climate situations that continue to emerge. But also, I think very importantly, agriculture oftentimes gets to be sort of pointed to as really a contributor to the problem. That's not to say, and I don't think we have enough time today to probably move into that debate, but I think most importantly what FAO sees as an opportunity is finding ways to advance the discussion in agriculture and with national governments, with our members, to showcase how agriculture can be a part of the solution to address and to mitigate climate crisis? How do we take on new ways of having a less contributing greenhouse gas emissions, for example, of livestock production? I think the right approach is that doesn't mean that we walk away from animal production or livestock production in various parts of the world. But we have to get better at tools, at innovative solutions that help better production management systems ultimately get us to a place where there's a better approach to handling that issue. Another very important issue that we're seeing or a very important opportunity is the use of science and innovation in developing more drought-resistant, drought-tolerant, or climate-tolerant varieties of seeds. You know, we have focused for so long on, in many cases, the nutritional qualities of different commodities and different products. But more than ever, I think today, we need to really be mindful of how do we use and leverage new technologies and innovations in breeding and other techniques that get us to a place where we can have crops that can tolerate more of these really difficult climate conditions.